I want to tell you a little bit about what we, what we call Chabolic or Chaplain Basic Officer Leadership Course because uh, many of you probably have a question about what that actually is like. Well, Pastor asked me to, to share not only my testimony, but some of the things that I had learned from, from this, this course that I took. And it was really difficult to try to package all of this for you to, to understand what I've been through. Those of you that have been in any kind of military, military training may understand what I'm about to say, that, that trying to sum up that kind of training for in, in words, just doesn't do it justice. You almost have to be there to understand. But, but if I could just this morning just outline a few things that that I did and try to try to boil it down to some points. That's what I hope to do f for you this morning. And and maybe just maybe you'll be able to walk away understanding not just a little bit about the military, what my experience was, but walking away knowing that you can face life in every battle that you come into with confidence and joy, amen? So, my schedule went something like this. About 3.30 in the morning, I'd wake up. About four o'clock, I'd uh, assemble where we were supposed to be there, and about 4.30, training would begin. Uh, we would run for a few miles. We never knew exactly what we were gonna do. As a matter of fact, all we knew is the night before what uniform to wear and where to show up and when. Uh, uniform consists of uh, a physical training uniform, PT uniform, consists of a pair of line shorts, a t-shirt, a long sleeve t-shirt, uh, some windbreaker pants, a windbreaker jacket, um, and the all important PT belt. Because if, you wearing, if you're wearing a reflective PT belt, you can't get hurt apparently. Uh, at least that's what the army tells us. It, it, it protects you from everything. And, we, and um, uh, I forgot to mention, yes, we did have to wear our masks while we trained. And, and uh, on top of that, we, we wore a hydration system, which we refer to as a camelback, filled with water. But some of us tried not to fill it with water because it was heavy. <laughs> so we'd run out to where, wherever we were supposed to be, maybe about a mile or two, and then we'd begin the training, whatever it was. And... and um, and then after the, a few hours of training, then we'd uh, have some chow, eat breakfast, and it was always uh, outside in, in the middle of some trees in the woods somewhere. And uh, we'd have about five, 10 minutes to eat, and then we'd start the next activity or exercise. A little while, they'd let us go um, and uh, take a shower and be back to, uh, to a classroom by eight o'clock. And from eight, uh, for the next four hours until noon, we'd sit and do all sorts of military training, whatever the military decided that they wanted me to know for that day. And uh, then I'd have another 10 minutes to eat lunch, and then we'd go do some more training for another four hours. I'd have a few minutes to eat dinner, and then guess what? More training. And after I ate dinner, then they'd release us to go back to our room so that I could have some time to do the homework that they assigned me that day. And then I'd fall asleep in some weird position and wake up sore. <laughs> and I'd wake up and I'd repeat. Now, there were, four, there were four phases to our military training. The first phase was called DCC, which is direct commission phase. That's whenever they take people off the street or people that have been enlisted for a long time or maybe just changing jobs. And they would teach them all about what the military expects of them. For the for the first four weeks, uh, I was constantly harassed by people that uh, I felt like they didn't really love me like you do. 
No respect. And, and then the phases would change, but the schedule pretty much stayed the same, very constant. Um, we learned from everything from military training, um, like how to salute, how to stand, how to sit, how to eat, uh, how to say yes, sir, how to say no, sir, how to say no, ma'am, yes, ma'am, and how not to say anything at all. We learned a lot of other things, too, throughout the phases. I learned how to call in a medevac. I learned how to do casualty care. I learned how to do things like combat life-saving skills. I learned how to do solution-focused therapy. I learned, um, I learned how, uh, about uh, unified land operations. I, I learned things like... Um, I learned things like just war theory, and I learned how to advise a commander just after I briefed him. I learned how to love soldiers, wherever they were. I learned that a chaplain is not stationed and assigned to a chapel, but they're assigned to people. I learned that my office goes wherever I go, and that you don't have to step into my office. My office steps into you. <laughs> I, I, I learned that, that ministry is not what you do, but ministry is a part of who you are. I learned that as a believer, that it doesn't matter what kind of job that you have or where you go or what you do, that you can minister to people in significant ways with your life and with your testimony. And if necessary, you can even use your words to minister. I learned that ministry starts with PT. I hate PT. <laughs> but I was faithful to go to PT. But throughout the other phases and other, my other education, I, I put together some numbers for you just so you'd maybe have an a encapsulated view. I spent 520 hours inside of our classroom. Uh, according to my Apple Watch, uh, over 40 hours was spent at a dead run. Um... Here's another. Uh, I served as an executive officer to my platoon for one phase. I chose not to do that ever again. <laughs> I, I met some of the best people in the world, army chaplains. I made lifelong friends. And I have to do a shout out to uh, my battle buddy, uh, Martin Zakewi, uh, who's uh, watching us live stream today. He just got stationed at Fort Hood. So I want to say hello to you and your family. Love you guys. What an amazing time. And I want you to know that as the, I spent time doing this training, I realized something, that our, our army loves the Lord. And we have chaplains out of a class of 100 students. We had 98 Christian chaplains going in and ready to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ at every base, every station, under every pine tree, and in every ditch that you can think of. And they're, they love the Lord and they're on fire and ready to minister. So look out world, here we come. Before we get too far into things, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the book of James. We're going to be reading out of the first chapter of James. As you turn there, we'll start at verse 2, but as you turn there, I, I want to give you a little bit of background the book of James. This, the author of this book is James, the half-brother of Jesus. I could stop right there and do a whole sermon on just the half-brother of Jesus because you see 
Jesus' half-brother didn't believe that he was the son of God for a long time. As a matter of fact, he argued against it. But later on, we see that he not only believed that Jesus was the son of God, but he preached. And he serves as a pastor in Jerusalem. That he ministered to, to the churches and that this book is probably the first portion of scripture that we find in the New Testament writings. James wrote to the Christians, not just in Jerusalem, but it was an open letter to uh, Christian, Jewish Christians throughout the area that had been fleeing for their lives because of incredible, uh, incredible um, uh, persecution of the church. And it was most likely just after the stoning of Stephen that James sat down to pin these words to these Christians that loved the Lord, but that were afraid of their lives and their, for their lives, and they were going through incredible uh, trials. Verse 2 says, My brethren, or sistren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Heavenly Father, I pray, God, that you would allow your word to soak deep down into the cracks and crevices of our hearts and lives, Lord, so that as we go headlong into the trials and temptations that this world brings, Lord, that we would face things with joy. Lord, knowing, God, that there's something on the other side. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So it's my hope today that as we explore some of the obstacles and the challenges that I went through over the last 90 days, that you might be able to glean some of these lessons and maybe apply them to your life so that you can be victorious in every battle and trial that you face. So the first lesson I wanna share with you this morning is, from, uh, is the lesson from the Victory Tower. The lesson from the Victory Tower. Now the Victory Tower, as you can see here, well, this is actually not the uh, Victory Tower. This is uh, the Midget Tower, as a matter of fact. Uh, that's, that's the halfway market. What, what we did was very simple. They, they took us into this beautiful area of Fort Jackson, uh, nestled into the pine trees. There was this large 40-foot structure, and it was a tower uh, for rappelling. And the very first thing that we do uh, in the military is we all gather together and do a safety briefing. And, uh, and after the safety briefing, they sit us down and they teach us how to tie all the knots and listen to all the commands and do all the things that we're supposed to do correctly. And then they give us an opportunity to, to do it ourselves by learning how to tie a Swiss seat, which is exactly what you use in order to repel. And so we tied our own Swiss seat and had somebody inspect us. And thankfully, I was able to tie mine right or else I wouldn't be standing here today. But then in a, in a cruel twist of fate, they had us untie our Swiss seat and then turn to a partner and have them tie ours. You want to talk about trust. <laughs> Learning how to tie a Swiss seat's one thing. Tying your own Swiss seat's another. But having somebody else tie your own Swiss seat, that's a no-go in my book. But they tied mine, and I was thankful that theirs held up. Our first assignment was to walk up this short wall. Uh, I, I, 
I climbed a ladder just to the side. If you're looking at it, it's just the right where we, some of us are gathered, forming a line. There's a ladder just on that side. I'd climb up that ladder and I, I would go to one of the stations. And at that station, uh, they would talk us through what we we're going to do. And then I clipped on and then I'd follow the instructor's uh, guidance. So I'd let myself down. I would keep my legs straight. I would walk a little bit and then they would show us to jump. It's about 20 foot off the ground and um, had a great time. I'm not a person that's afraid of heights, but I, I definitely wanted to follow all the instructions because everybody is afraid of something called being recycled. Recycling is something worse than death. Being recycled means that you failed to meet the standard of the objective and that you would start from the beginning of Chibolic and, and uh, do it all again. And so over the course of my experience, every fear that I had was not of death or not of starving, not of hurting my body, but having to spend another three months doing what I was just doing. <laughs> and so, so I was successful in coming down this, I rappelled down this wall, and the next thing we had to do was go to another tower, which was twice as tall, and get on it and do the same thing coming down. So as I climbed that, I, as I climbed the stairs up to the top of the tower, I felt the wind in my hair, which I was thankful to still feel wind in my hair. And I realized something that the wind, uh, th that we were so high that the trees were no longer blocking the wind. I saw some people crawling out to the edge so that they could look over and then they would crawl back and they'd start crawling down the stairs. And then there was a sergeant there at the bottom pushing them back out <laughs> towards the ledge. I saw people that were uh, praying in the spirit, and they, these were not Pentecostals. <laughs> That's amazing. You get saved when you get up that high. But I had, I had been repelling before. I, I knew what I was doing. So I, I walked out there. I clipped on, and uh, I said, hey, can I do this fast? And he said, absolutely. So I, I performed a, uh, uh, something that they call fast roping. And all you do is you just kind of kick your legs out as far as you can, kick out, and then let the rope take you. And it was a beautiful sound, that rope sizzling through my hand on my glove all the way down until I gently came to a stop on the ground. I looked like a pro, and it was all because I followed the instructions. And you know what the instructor told me when I was at the top? He said something like this. He said, listen, Lieutenant Elliot, all you got to do is do the same stuff on the tall wall that you did on the short wall. There's no difference. And whenever I did the same stuff on the tall wall that I did on the short wall, it turns out it was just fine. It was the same thing. If I did the procedure just like I was supposed to, it didn't matter whether it was a helicopter, it was a mountainside, it was a building, it all was the same. Don't you think in life, that sometimes we kind of get mixed up. We face these problems and the little problems are easy, but when we go against the big problems, all of a sudden things get more complicated. There's so many variables and so much problem and so, so much confusion and fear that builds up within our lives. Now we don't want to step out on the ledge and we don't want to do it anymore. We want to try to back away. We start praying, start calling out to the Lord. We want to climb back down the stairs and say, Lord, let me off. Let me off. But I'm here to tell you this morning that you just have to handle the little problems just like you handle 
the big problems. You handle the little stuff just like you handle the big stuff in life. You see, how do we handle the big stuff? How do we handle the big stuff? How do we handle the little stuff? Well, you learned about it maybe whenever you were in children's church. The first thing that you do is you call out to Jesus. You put his word down deep into your heart and you have an active and open communication with him through prayer. When you start off with the little problems like this, then you're destined to be able to conquer the little problems. But why in the world do, when we approach the big problems, why, why do we just all of a sudden forget the basics? When you begin to approach the big problems in a new and different way, then you're not going to have the same success. I want to tell you Christ's legacy. The big problems and the little problems are not a problem at all. When you call out to Jesus, you pray, and you hide his word in your heart. So don't let the confusion, don't let the anxiety, don't let the fear keep you from handling the big stuff in your life like you do the small stuff, because guess what? It's all small stuff to our Lord. Amen? I want to tell you about a, a lesson I learned from the night infiltration course. Oh, man. You see, back in World War I, what we discovered is that we would train these young men in, uh, in so many different ways, and we'd train them for hours and days and weeks, and then we'd release them into the war zone. And when they'd get into the war zone, they would begin to break down and not know how to operate or what to do because something happened. They experienced combat for the very first time. For the first time, they experienced bullets flying at them. They experienced explosions. They, the smells, the sights, and the sounds of war, it shook them. It rattled them. And they didn't know how to operate. It took them a long time to regain their, their footing and to be able to operate within their training. And so after World War I, what we decided to do was, was begin this night infiltration course, which exposes soldiers to to what a simulated combat experience is like. So what you see here on, on this screen is about 150 yards of sand and various obstacles. What you may not see is that the obstacles are, um, um, there's a lot of them out there. There's barbed wire, there's exploding barrels, um, there are ditches and culverts and valleys and, and, uh, and, and Whenever this is an operation, there are people scattered throughout the, the, the course. And the idea is that a soldier will be gathered at the trench at the far end, and they will come over the trench, and they'll have to crawl on their belly, called a low crawl, 150 yards, as machine gun fire is coming over their head. And it's completely pitch black dark, except for the tracers in the machine gun fire that light up the sky, just enough for you to realize that you feel like you're in danger. <laughs> and can I tell you the truth? Um, although I didn't, I knew cognitively that I was not in danger, um, something about the bullets sounding different when they're coming at you than whenever they're going away from you makes you feel tense. <laughs> My only, the only time that I got to relax throughout that time is whenever somebody, uh, one of our leaders would fire a red flare into the air. 
And when they fired that flare into the air, you had to get really still because you didn't want to be found because you didn't want to be recycled. (laughs) So I plowed that field with my body all the way down. My pockets were filled with sand. I think I weighed about 20 pounds heavier. And I believe that this is the exact same field that Pastor Brooks himself plowed many, not too many years ago. He's my boss. (laughs) You know, something happens to your mind and to your body. You're filled with adrenaline. My arms, my shoulders were burning. My legs and elbows were bruised. Things were happening to me that uh, had never happened before. And although I I can't say that I've actually been shot at and fired upon. I haven't felt the real stress of combat. I can tell you that I have felt pressure and stress like I've never felt before. And I have an idea of how I might respond if that time ever came. I wonder in life, if we actively choose to try to avoid difficulties and stress and pressure over and over and over again and never allow ourselves to be exposed to anything difficult because somehow in some way we believe that that exposure to these things has caused uh, uh, is against the will of God I wonder if we've made ourselves weaker as Christians but instead I, I wonder like James refers to here in the scripture if if the Lord allows us to face challenges and trials and difficulty in order to expose us, to bring us out and test our mettle so that we can handle the difficulty, difficult things later on in our life. How many things have we chosen not to do? And how would our life be any different? What would it be like if whenever a loved one dies in your family, you were the rock that brought everybody together and encouraged them in the hope that we have in Jesus instead of sitting in the corner crying? What would it look like if if as a parent we dealt strongly and strictly with our two and three-year-old kid instead of just giving in and pacifying them so that we didn't have to deal with them whenever they were 12 and 13 for the same issues? What would it look like if, if we chose to witness to that atheist in our workplace instead of backing down in the corner and saying, he probably won't agree anyway. What would it look like if you and I as Christians decided to handle the hard stuff now so we didn't have to handle or so we could be able to handle the harder stuff later on in our life? This is one of the principles that I learned when I experienced the night infiltration course. But then there were lessons, many lessons, from physical training, (laughs) PT. I see a lot of military guys shaking their head right now, PT. I'll give you the first uh, lesson. This is free chicken for you. Uh, The first lesson is uh, nobody likes waking up at, at four in the morning and running four miles. Nobody does. <laughs> Nobody does. Another free lesson I'm going to give you is that uh, everyone is scared. Everybody. 
Uh, as a matter of fact, we had a saying, it go, went something like this. Uh, they, they had uh, false confidence and uh, bad coffee uh, in the morning if they came in and uh, they were excited about PT. The truth of the matter is this, is when you found yourself doing physical training, you knew that the only thing that you had to do was show up and you were gonna be hurting. You're gonna be scared. You're gonna be aching the next day. PT was not gonna be fun. As a matter of fact, one of the hardest things about PT was the mental anxiety that you would experience because whenever you would go wake up in the morning and you'd attend PT, they wouldn't tell you what you were doing. They, they would just say, show up. And it would be something like, uh, you're gonna run four miles today and then you're gonna lift kettlebells and then you're gonna do hill sprints or, or maybe we're gonna, we're gonna um, uh, throw medicine balls or, or we're gonna do whatever it was. You knew that the end of the PT period it was gonna end up UCN breakfast on the ground. Um, and it was, it was just a difficult thing. As a matter of fact, um, to show you how difficult it was, uh, in a class of 100, at one point in time, 40 people had to go at some point and check into sick call after their PT experience. And on one very vicious day of hill sprints, we had five people tear their hamstring at the same time. <laughs> I have to admit, there were days, there were mornings where before my feet even hit the floor, I was praying. I was trying to figure out if there was a way that I could avoid PT. I was coming up with every excuse in the book, but at the end of the day, I, or not at the end of the day, the very first part of the day, I woke up and I put my uniform on and I got out there and I did what they told me to do because that's what you got to do. But I learned that it was not just going to be a challenge for just me, but it was a challenge for everyone. I learned something about myself and I learned something about others. I learned that sometimes you just have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Be comfortable with not knowing. Be comfortable with not knowing what you're gonna do or if you're gonna be able to do it. Be comfortable with showing up whenever it's hard to show up. Be comfortable when no one else is comfortable. I wonder in life if if you and I as Christians learned to be comfortable when things were uncomfortable, how that would affect our relationship with Christ. Many times we pray and ask the Lord, what's your will, Lord? And no matter how many times we ask him, it doesn't feel like we can know his will. But we can be comfortable even when we're uncomfortable. Many times we would we would have difficulties in trials and situations. I forgot to tell you anything about my PT. That first picture, if you can go back, um, uh, this, this picture of me is, uh, is the morning of our field exercise. And to this point, I had avoided being a, a road guard. Um, and if you know anything about being a road guard, you do not want to be a, a road guard. Because a road guard is the guy that has to run the entire time that people are marching. You have to be at the back of the formation and whenever they get up to a road, you have to run all the way up through the formation and stand at that road and then allow the formation to move past. And then you have to run into the next road, into the next road. Well, I had successfully avoided this time until, the, until we had a six mile ruck where I had to run with my rucksack 
for six miles so that, uh, that cars wouldn't hit our, our, uh, our troops. Uh, although I don't think they really needed me because we're on a military base. But they decided to make me do it anyway. The, the length of our, um, our formation on the next picture, you can almost see it as we march into the sunset. Um, well, that's, that's about a quarter of it. You'd, you'd see that our, our formation probably was about 100, 100 to 150 uh, yards long. Uh, so it was a lot of running that day. I was uncomfortable, to say the least. But I want you to know that as Christians, we can choose to be comfortable even when it's uncomfortable for us. We can count it joy, amen? The last lesson I wanna share with you before I close is this. The lesson from the gas chamber. <laughs> one of, this is one of the challenges that definitely stood out to me from the gas chamber. For those of you that don't know, it's a large room um, that will file into, and they, they fill that gas chamber with CA, uh, CS gas, otherwise known as tear gas. And as they fill that gas up, we have gas masks on, and they would do a safety brief before we would go in, and they'd say, under no circumstances are you to remove your mask uh, in a real situation, except for this time, and then we're going to make you exposed to the harmful, uh, toxic gas that we don't want you to be exposed to. So... I walked in and, and uh, I had my, my mask on. I was doing exactly what they told me. And um, they started off by doing something I, I felt was kind of mean. They start making you do all the calisthenics inside of the gas chamber with your mask on. They make you run in place. They make you do 50 jumping jacks. They make you do push-ups. And they make you start breathing hard. And I was like, man, why are you making us do this? And then I realized... Oh, I got it. <laughs> and then whenever they come up to you, they, they say, take your mask off. And then you take your mask off and they ask you a question. You're supposed to tell them what the answer is. And they ask me a question and I begin to tell them what the answer was. And I thought for just a moment that I am Superman because I am immune to this bad stuff. I don't feel it at all. This is easy. <gasps> okay, there it is. <laughs> And if I could tell you what it feels like, it feels like, um, it feels like you got your face lotion mixed up with Icy Hot. Um, it feels like you just rub it all over your face. It feels like you're breathing in and then everything that that gas touches uh, just starts burning. Uh, my eyes were watering. My nose was running. Things were coming out of my mouth that I did not put in there. It was just... And it was horrible. And everything in my body, everything in my mind, everything about me told me to run, get out of the room. But you have to stand there in discipline and you have to finish what you start. And then you put your mask back on and clear it so that you can stay there until everybody's done. And then they'll let you leave. And when you walk out the, of that room, they make you walk out like a wounded chicken trying to air yourself out from all that gas that you've been exposed to. I can tell you that I walked out with very clean sinuses. <laughs> but I wonder what it would be like in life if we only had to learn a lesson one time and not have to repeat it. See, in life, there's, there are some lessons that, that we can't avoid, that we just find ourselves in. 
But there are other lessons that, that we can avoid, that we should avoid, but we keep going through every time and we find ourselves getting burned by them every time. Sometimes we find this in the temptations that we face, temptations of lust and greed and pride, temptations that are life-controlling. We say, Lord, please deliver me from this experience. Please take me away from this temptation. Please get me out of here because every time I breathe, every time I open my eyes, every time I look around, I end up getting burned. And we just ask the Lord, Lord, help me to stay away from that temptation. But we find ourselves going back in line to go to the gas chamber of temptation in our lives when we could have just learned the first time. I wonder what it would be like if we put our faith and trust and hope in the Lord and asked for God's power to deliver us so that we, could only, we would only have to experience that line for the gas chamber one time. What would it be like if we learned and didn't have to repeat some of those life lessons? See, as, as we are faithful in these life lessons, we might find that James reminds us of the promises that we'll receive when we're faithful. If we continue down in the first chapter in the 12th verse, we find that James says, blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he has been approved, he will receive what? The crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Young people, parents, grandparents, I want to remind you that we don't do these things in vain. We don't face the trials and the challenges of life just because it's life. There's something waiting on the other side for us. We have a crown of life. And so many times in our life, we forget that the things that we're going through have a purpose, they have a meaning, and that there's something on the other side that we can grab a hold of. So there's a hope that we have in Christ. And I want to remind you of that this morning. If you're here this morning, and maybe, just maybe, that you're not sure that you could say that you have a crown of life waiting on the other side. Maybe you're hearing what I'm saying and you, you can identify with the trials and the tribulations. You can identify with the hard things in your life, but you're not sure that you have the ability to get on the other side of them because you're not sure if you have a relationship with the Lord, I want to invite you today. Make today the day of salvation. Would you just stand with me everywhere in this room? Hallelujah. Life is too short. It's too difficult hard. The challenges are too big for us to try to overcome them on our own. And if by some chance that you are standing here or maybe even joining us online and make a decision, a resolute decision that you're going to try it on your own, fail or win, but you're going to try it on your own. I've got bad news for you. At the end of the day, you always fail without Christ. 
So make a decision today. Maybe you made a decision a long time ago, but it, but it just hadn't played out in your life. Make a decision that you'll choose Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you'll choose to trust Him with your life, that you'll honor Him, and I promise that He'll be there to help you overcome and be victorious over every obstacle, every trial, every temptation that you may face. But perhaps you're here today and you'd say, Pastor John, you know one of those trials, you know one of those obstacles, that, that's what I'm going through right now. If you're here and you'd like special prayer, maybe healing for your body or a loved one that's not saved, I, don't, I want to invite you to come down and our prayer partners will come down and meet you. And we're going to have a special personal prayer with you. Because we're a church that believes where two or more gather together in his name, he's, he's going to be in the midst of them. And we believe that when two or more agree on any one thing, it will be done. You see, the power of prayer is effective. And it takes place even now here today. So at the conclusion of our service, if you would just step out, somebody will find you and they'll pray with you. And they'll pray that God gives you victory over every battle and trial you face. Amen? And if you're joining us online and you wanna, if you want to, uh, if you wanna participate in our prayer, if you'd like special prayer, why don't you just go to our website and click on That's Me at the top. And we'll have somebody contact you and pray with you and pray for you.